That's where we're going to be today, if you put the first light on. But however, I want to do a quick recap, just a real quick one, just because we're, it kind of seems like the text jumps around a wee bit. And I kind of want to tie together what's been going on with, especially these two fellas, this Barnabas and Saul fella, or Barnabas and Saul fellows. Um, so in, uh, way back in Acts 11, starting verse 27, it says, During the time, or this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spear predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we, we uh, first of all, I have to say I love the church in Antioch. These guys are amazing. They're a real inspiration to me. I, I love reading about them because they're just, it seems like, it, it's, first of all, it's a mixed church. It's a church of so many different cultures and backgrounds and just, you know, it's just such an interesting church. I mean, there's, there's people traveling all over the world, the known world at the time, to go and to be there at the church in Antioch. It seems to me like a lot more interesting than the church in Jerusalem. However, the church in Jerusalem is an important church as well. And they're going through a lot of struggles. Um, and, and a part of those struggles would include this famine that's being prophesied about. And so, again, well, like what the church in Antioch, they say, well, if our brothers in Jerusalem are going to struggle, how can we help? Oh, I love their heart. How can we help our brothers? How can we help our sisters? And then you have this guy, Barnabas, who's you know, the acting pastor, if you will. He went up from Jerusalem to be in Antioch to minister and to bless the people in Antioch. And then he called Saul from Tarsus, which is just a, you know, a town east or west from there. So he calls Tarsus or Saul back. He remembered Saul. Come back and be my pastor. Help me minister to these people. Help me to care for these people. And they taught him the word and they encouraged the people. And, they, and it was just what, what a vibrant, wonderful church this was. And then Barnabas and Saul decide that they want to um, start traveling some more. Um, and, and it begins with this, um, a return to Jerusalem uh, to bring this gift that the people in Antioch raised to help them out, the people in Judea or in Jerusalem. So they go, they go down to, to Judea. And then in Acts 12, we see Barnabas and Saul as they finish their mission. This is where we left off last week. Okay, Barnabas and Saul, they finish their mission and return from Jerusalem. But this time they take this fellow named John, also called Mark. And we're going to look a bit at the, the biography, the life of John, also called Mark. Because he's kind of an interesting guy. And we can learn, I think, a lot from him. Especially if you're young in ministry or you're working with people and encouraging people who are young and are interested in getting involved in the ministry. I think we can learn a lot from John Mark because he, he makes... Some mistakes. Um, but, but we're going to hold on to that for a moment. So now we are in Acts 13, verse 1. It says this. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, 
known as the Black Fellow. <laughs> Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Okay? And, and just, just to stop and look again at the mixed culture we have here, so many different backgrounds. We know Barnabas being from um, Cyprus um, and these other fellas. You know, and even this Menaean guy who actually was brought up in other words, he was raised, he was a, a youthful friend or a mate of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, we talked about Herod the Tetrarch last week, remember? He was a tyrant. So, I mean, think about the conflict when you see this guy. Like, oh, I don't know. You grew up with this guy. And this guy's persecuting every Christian we know. You know, he's, you know, he's mad. Can we trust you? But yet, this guy is a part of the kind of encouragement, the teaching ministry, the the pastoral ministry that's going on. So it's crazy, this, 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 this dynamic that we see here going on with these fellas. Okay, so while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, again, we, we saw last week how the church prayed, you know, prayed, and, and they prayed for Peter, and God answered the prayer. So again, we're, what we're seeing is seeing the disciples, or disciplines, of the, yeah, the disciplines of the disciples. You know, this is what Christians do. They pray together. They meet together. They worship together. And here we also see them fasting. You know, they, they're taking time apart from the ordinary day-to-day things. You know, oh, I've got to run here and I've got to run there and I've got to make this and I've got to do this. They stop to be together. You know, they stop. They fast. They restrain from things, including eating, whatever. And they sit and they pray. And they sit and they wait on the Lord and they sit and they worship. And look what happens when you sit and you wait on the Lord. God speaks. He does things. And that's what we see here. The Holy Spirit actually starts speaking to the people. Now, in our day and age, do we believe that the Holy Spirit talks to people? Do you believe the Holy Spirit talks to us? Do you believe the Holy Spirit talks to you? I mean, I hope so. I hope you've encountered God in that way where you've heard him, you know, give you direction. You've heard him call you out. Because that's what he does. And here they're worshiping God. They're facing their face for God. They're not thinking about what they're going to do after church. They're not thinking about, oh boy, you know, my, my shoe, you know, I need to get some new shoes. And, you know, my, where I put my phone? And, you know, the distractions. You know the distractions, guys. The kids, what are they up to in there? You know, I mean, I know, especially as a dad and as a, as a human being, it's hard not to be distracted. I, I, I sympathize with that. But, but sometimes you have to just worship. You have to just shut off from this normal ways of life and just say, God, embrace me. Worshiping, fasting, Holy Spirit speaking. And what does he say? He says, set apart. I like that word set apart because that's how Christians should be. The, the word saint, you know, we you know the word saint, right? That means set apart. And I hate to say it, but I think disciples by nature are people who are intended to be set apart. You know, when we see Paul talk about it in the epistles, he says, be set apart, be saints, be set apart, be different. Not, don't just wait, don't just do something amazing, wait to die and have some acknowledge you. Be it now, be it here, be the kind of person who lives a saintly kind of life, be set apart. And Barnabas and Paul were most certainly saints in this respect. But, but, but the thing is, there's a calling and there's obedience to being set apart. The Holy Spirit says, be set apart. Barnabas and Saul, 
And then Barnabas and Saul, as you see, are going to be set apart. They, they could always deny what God's doing. They could always ignore and be disobedient to God's calling. But, but as we see here, they, they weren't. And I, and I must say, I'm quite thankful that they weren't disobedient. So Barnabas and Saul, be set apart for the work to which I have called you. Or this is in different tense. Be set apart for the work that which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, which is a sign of, you know, confirmation. They set their hands on them, they pray for them. Go. The church is behind you. Go. Go do your mission. Wow, what's their mission? What are they going to do? Well, it's exciting, and this is what we're going to see. Next slide. I don't know if you guys recognize that sign. But I think it's probably safe to see at this point that the Holy Spirit chooses people to do the work of the ministry. People don't choose people to do their ministry. People confirm in unison, yeah, God's hand is on this person, and they lay hands on people, and they agree. But it's not the people that decide, and it's not the people who choose for themselves. It's God. So what people decide to do is to sit still before the Lord. And what God decides to do is move amongst people, right? And so it's not enough to just, you know, go to seminary to get a really good education because you want a really good paycheck to work for an established church, you know? And I think if people see God, meet God, encounter him through his word, sit still before the Lord, they will hear the calling from God and realize it's not a work of the flesh. In fact, if anything, what we see with this young fella in a few moments is John Mark fella he was a little bit more kind of that kind of, you know, polished seminary type. Yeah, I'll do the work. But we see that maybe his initial work was a work of the flesh, not the work of the spirit. And that caused problems for Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas, they weren't set out in the flesh. They weren't sent out because of their qualifications. They weren't sent out because of their certifications and their experience. They were sent out because the Holy Spirit told them to do it. It was the Holy Spirit that set them apart. It was the Holy Spirit that gave them their mission. And he gave them the exact direction of what their mission is going to be. So they went down to the seaport of Seleucia. And then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And that's a cool thing about their calling. And, it's, and, and I like it because I, I identify with it. I like this being able to go somewhere and preach the word of God. I think it's important. I think it's something that doesn't need to be uh, dolled up. It isn't something that needs to be, you know, uh, covered up and sugar-coated and everything else. It's something that just you got to do. And in, in the, in the preaching of the Word of God is pretty easy. Like, for instance, reading through Acts is, is lovely. We're doing this devotional, reading through the book of Acts. But all we're doing is reading, reading, talking about it, stopping, thinking about it. But the Word does the work. All we're doing is setting some time apart to get together to do it together. It's like being a big family and having devotional time at the kitchen table. We should do that. We should get a kitchen table. Another prop for the church, you know. You know, because that's all we're doing. We're just being a big family. We're reading the Bible together. I mean, I feel like God has called me, you know, the Holy Spirit has called me to do this thing. And I know that God's called a lot of you guys out here to do various things. And for some of you, it's preaching as well. And that's good. Be obedient to that. Be diligent in those things. 
But again, they just went out and they talked about the word of God with people. And John Mark went with them as their assistant. Again, that's John Mark fellow. Next slide, please. So then afterward, in verse 6, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, or Paphos, where they met a, a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jebus, or Bar-Jesus. This guy's an interesting fellow. He had a, attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wants to hear the word of God. But this, this guy named Bar-Jesus is also called or referred to as Illumis. That's how you say it in the, in, in the Greek. I know it looks like it's Illumis, but it's Illumis, which sounds like illuminate, which is what the word means. It means to be all wise and illuminating, and, 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 and it's another word for magician or sorcerer, which is what the sorcerer, which is what his name means in the Greek, Illumis. He interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Now, guys, look at this little section. Do you not know someone in your life who doesn't want you to hear the word of God? Do you not know how, how common this is? This is just so, so typically satanic, but yet so typically the world we live in. There's always going to be someone who's going to interfere with someone hearing the word of God. Come on. The word of God, if God wants to speak, who, how dare you interfere? But there's going to be people in our lives that are going to say, oh, why are you doing that church thing anyways? You Bible basher? What do you like? You good for goody two-shoe? What are you trying to do? You know, make me look bad? No, I just want to get my life right with God. I just want to love God. What's wrong with that? I want to know about God. And, I, and frankly, I think it's good. And I think you probably should consider doing the same thing. But there's going to be people like this Bar Jesus guy, the Illumis fella, who's going to adversely affect. And even intelligent people can be duped. Because this guy, this governor, was an intelligent guy. But yet he had his ear. Oh, but this is my buddy here, Bar Jesus, the Illuminus guy. You know, he's, he's my friend. You know, and he's pretty smart. He's, you know, he's illuminating. Don't you know? That's what his name means. He's, he's, he's got a gift. You know, but he was just a big, fat distraction. You know, big fat, oh, you don't want to listen to these guys and what they have to say. But what, but what Barnabas and Saul were bringing them was the word of God. You know what I'm saying? It was very important. It was the word of God. How dare anyone say, oh, you don't need to hear the word of God? And who are you exactly? Yeah, you might be the illuminated person. But however, you're just a person. You're a man. How dare you get in front. How dare you distract me? How dare you take the word of God away from me? So don't ever let any person, any human, any mortal, if you will, get, rip you off. You know what I'm saying? Don't let any person twist and rip you off and say, oh, you don't want to hear from God. Who do you think you are? You're just a man. You're just a mortal. You're just a person. If God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to speak to me, I'm going to listen to it. And that's, thank God, that's what happened with this fella here, um, this governor, Sergis. Because Saul, also known as Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you lots of power, lots of strength, lots of wisdom, lots of help. And he looked at the sorcerer in the eye, and he said to him, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Ouch. 
See, again, Paul needs to read the book on how to make friends and influence people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, going right for it, you know? So he says, watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand upon you, and you'll be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Is there no helpers today? Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hands and lead him. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, sorry for that distraction, guys. But I, I want to say, though, in that section, though, if God wants to get through, God's going to get through, okay? He may not use, you know, really extreme and obvious miracles like striking a person blind, but God can remove those distractions. God, if you pray and you say, listen, God, I really want to know the truth. And if, and if there's a distraction, something that's holding you back or holding a person back, maybe you know someone who needs to hear the word of God and you're praying for them. Well, keep praying for them because I think if there's something holding that person back and if it's another person, I think God will remove that person. I think God will break those walls down and a person will finally hear what they need to hear. They'll finally get that word from God because that's what happened here with Sergius Paulus. That distraction because of God's interaction was taken away, was taken out of the scenario, taken out of the picture, so to speak. And then the word of God penetrated his mind and his heart and became a believer. So, interesting story, that one. Let's, let's move on, though, guys. That was a short story, that little section. That was a little encounter there. But then they keep moving. Their mission continued to move, and they continue to go on. So Paul and his companions then left Paphios by ship, for Pamphylia, which is an, 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 a region, an area, landing at the port town of Perga, which is a town, as it says, port town. And then there, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled, island, traveled inland rather, to Antioch. Poseidon. So there's just a little map. This is to kind of give you, make you familiarize where they started in Antioch and they traveled to Cyprus and then up to what's modern day Turkey, you know, you know, back then we would call that Asia Minor, but that region, Pamphylia, you know, and they, and they travel up to this different Antioch up in Galatia, which is different than the Antioch where they started from, obviously. So that's their mission. That's, that's what they're traveling about. So just get that in your mind. We're going to be seeing them traveling about for the next wee while, next few chapters. Or actually, next chapter. They return quite quickly on this first trip. But I want to stop and look at John Mark a little bit more. Because we've seen John Mark come up with them at Jerusalem. Okay? John Mark travels about with them as an assistant of some sort, a helper. Maybe to document. Because again, we know that Luke documented a lot of what's going on in their journeys. And other people documented. That's where the Acts, we wouldn't have the book of Acts if people didn't write these things down, right? So possibly his job was to document what was happening. So maybe what we just learned with that uh, story with the governor and with that Bar-Jebus, Bar-Jesus guy, maybe that was all written down by John Mark. So we kind of need him to write these things, and we need Luke to write these things down. So maybe that was a part of his job is to document stuff. But unfortunately, he didn't hang about. And sometimes young people... They have good intentions, but they, don't have, but they have a lack of steam. You know, they don't, they don't count the cost. They don't want to run the full, you know, nine yards, if you will. You know, they want to just kind of, or nine miles, whatever it is. But you know what I'm saying. Sometimes, because people are young, they're immature. 
They get excited about things, but they don't stick about. Oh, I don't know. I kind of want to go home now. That's kind of, I think, what happened maybe with John Mark. So let's look at John Mark just briefly, just, just for a few minutes. Next slide. This is from, this is from the um, Encyclopedia of the Bible, an excerpt from John Mark. I've, I've, I've abbreviated quite a bit from BibleGateway.com. Just some, some, some information about him. Because I think he's an interesting fellow, and I think it's good to learn a little bit about him. Because he's going to return in Acts, and he'll return in other portions of the Scriptures. But this is what we can say about him. His mother was named Mary. We learned that already in Acts 12, 12. And he was the cousin of Barnabas. We learned this from Colossians 4, 10. Who, according to Acts 4, 36-37, was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and a landowner. Okay, the fact that Peter upon his miraculous release from prison, which we learned about earlier, knew where to find the, the praying church, implies that the household held a position of some prominence among the early J- Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Again, the home that John Mark grew up in, his mom, that home was a, was a godly Christian home. It was like a, a beacon. It was like a, it was like a, a it was a, a, a meeting place. It was a, it was a, a haven for the early church in Jerusalem. So he grew up in a really good home, okay? You know, we don't know much about his dad. Maybe his dad died early on. Judging from the fact that Peter was welcomed at the house of Mary, and from the information of the first epistles, which bears the apostle's name, one may say that Mark had a particularly close relationship with Peter, probably dating from the early days of the church in Jerusalem. The young man who fled naked from the betrayal scene in Gethsemane often is thought to have been John Mark, and that's found in Mark's gospel, which tradition believes that Mark, this guy John Mark, wrote that very important gospel. Mark is believed today to be one of the oldest, most accurate sources of the gospel. In fact, they'll often say that between Mark and another um, kind of gospel document that we that disappeared called Q is where a lot of what Matthew got his information, Luke got his information, even John got his information. But most likely Mark was very much so, and is still believed to be very much so a very important, you know, early document of the gospel. And if he's responsible for it, then what we can say at this point is he may have been a foolish little guy, but he grew up at some point. So I guess with that, for us older people, we need to realize that we're investing in young people, that God can do things. We've got to be patient. And, and I think Pete, Paul was patient. At first, he was frustrated, as we'll see as we continue to read his biography. When Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch from their famine relief mission to Jerusalem, which we've read about, they brought him with them. Shortly after, Paul and Barnabas sent out on their first missionary journey, which we're reading about now, with Mark as their assistant. Next slide, please. But Mark left Paul and Barnabas at Perga and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, this is where we are right now, guys. Paul was later to regard Mark's actions as desertion. Paul wasn't happy about young John Mark bailing on him, or John Paul bailing on him. He was not happy about it. For when the time came for the second journey, Barnabas desired that his younger cousin should accompany them again. But Paul steadfastly refused. We'll read about that when we get to Acts 15. So sharp was the contention between the two elder missionaries that in the end, Paul departed with Silas while Barnabas took Mark and set sail for his native Cyprus. The Pauline correspondence indicates that within a decade or so of the rift over Mark, the relationship, and this is important, 
the relation between Paul and Mark had improved greatly. In Colossians 4.10, Paul includes Mark among the few of the circumcision who labored with him and provided him with some comfort. So again, he was a disappointment. And to the point where Paul says, I'm not traveling with this guy. He's a flake. Forget about it. I'm going to go with Silas instead. If you want to go with this John Mark guy, you take him with you and go to Cyprus. But I'm going somewhere else. So there was frustration with the young guy. But what I'm trying to say is that God restored the relationship, it looks like, through the scriptures that we've collaborated. Again, Paul makes further mention of Mark as his fellow worker in Philemon 24. Paul expresses his final gratifying tribute for the young man. He is very useful, he says, in serving me. So I'm glad to see they restore. But the thing is, he, John Mark needed to grow up. He need, you know what I'm saying? He was immature at this time. And, it's, and we know he was young, you know? And it's good to see young people get involved. But don't be disappointed when, when the young people let you down. You know, it's a part of the growing process. You know, but if it, but the think about it, if it's true, if tradition's true that he was responsible for, like I said, the Gospel of Mark, and, they, and, and a lot of times they believe that it, um, tradition believes that Peter basically influenced Mark. So, so basically, Mark, when we look at Mark, we're looking at Peter's perspective, because Peter was very close to Mark, and so Peter was retelling a lot of the stories about when he was Jesus, when he saw Jesus, which is good because you know Peter was very close to Jesus. So again, this, a lot of this is from tradition, but I want to explore these things because. It's important to look at this man, John Mark. And it's good to know that even though he, when he was young, he made some mistakes, that God restored him, you know, and God was working with him. And I think even when you're old like myself, in your my late 20s, you, it's good to know that God still has time to work with me and work on me. I'm not perfect. I've got a lot of things I think God needs to work on. And I think the same thing with you guys. Think about yourselves, and maybe you're disappointed with certain things that's happened in your life, and maybe you don't like where you are now with your walk with God. You want to be more active. You want to have awesome encounters with God. Well, that's okay. It'll happen. And it probably is happening. It's just a matter of just recognizing. See, John had an opportunity, but he left because of his immaturity. God was, okay, I'll use you. Oh, you want to leave? Okay, go ahead and leave. But he wasn't done with them. The time came when John Mark was used yet again, and yet in a wonderful way, I believe. So we're going to end by looking at, um, briefly looking at this gospel message. So here back in Acts 13, starting verse 14, on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. Um, after the usual reading from the books of Moses, which is like the law or the Pentateuch, basically the first five books of the Bible and the prophets. So basically, it's very similar to what we would expect from church today. You go to church and they read from the Bible. That's, that's how it was like in the synagogue. But then there are those in charge of the service. They sent them, okay, Paul and Barnabas, this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Now, Paul, seeing an opportunity, takes the opportunity. Yeah. And, and bear in mind, again, I don't think it's the work of the flesh. I don't think this is Paul trying to be a big mouth. I've got something to say. No, I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit. God wants to speak to the people, and God's going to use Paul. And God can use you, and God can use me sometimes to say what he wants to say. And I think Paul says, okay, here's an opportunity. I'm going to take it. So, and of course, it takes a little bit of bravery, a little bit of courage to raise your hand. But Paul did that. Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them and start speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Listen. 
Okay, and so I'm going to say that with you guys as well, because I'm not going to commentate too much on this, I hope. <laughs> I just want to read it because it's beautiful. He's going to say the gospel. So pretend like you're there in the synagogue, kind of like how we are here in this room. Okay, here's the message. It's sweet, it's simple, but it's for you. It's sweet and it's simple. And it's for me, it's for us. So what he said. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply, grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Okay, simply put, God exists. If you don't believe God exists, know this, God does exist. Okay, if you believe God exists, but you don't believe God interacts with humanity, know this, God interacts with humanity. That's what we know through history. God was with his people. He delivered them from Egypt. And with his powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them, even their rebellion. And even So if you feel like you're rebellious and you're disobedient, yeah, you're probably right. You probably are. But you know what? God's used to that. He's used to stiff-necked, stubborn people. Because he, he spent a lot of time with Israel when they were wandering around Egypt, being stubborn and rebellious. Even when they came to the promised land, they were horribly. Now, it's no excuse because ultimately they paid the price for it. So you got to break your ways and meet God. And that's the message here. He is patient. He is strong. He is loving. He is kind. He cares for them. Even for 40 years of wandering wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan. He, he, will, he, will, he will defeat your enemies. He will protect you. He will guard you. He will, he will guide you. He will help you. That's the kind of God we're talking about. He isn't some man upstairs who's so far upstairs that we can't talk to him. And, he, and, if, and if we do, it's just meaningless. No, God is with us. God's with his people. And that's what he's communicating to us. And this all took about 450 years. After that, God gave them a judge to rule them. In the time of Samuel, the prophet, the people begged for a king. Okay, Listen, there's an interaction here between God's people and God. You guys see that? They're begging God. God, send us a king. It's not enough that you lead us directly through judges and prophets and whatnot. We want a king like the other people. So God gave him a king. He gave him Saul. He reigned for 40 years. And then God removed Saul and replaced him with David. The man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So even a king who's like God, but he wasn't perfect. We know about David. He made mistakes, but still he, he, his, his intentions were good. He will do everything I want him to do. Next slide. 23. And it is one of King's descendants. Okay. One of King David's descendants, one from his line, his lineage, his royal lineage, Jesus. Okay, guys, the gospel is about Jesus. It's important to know that God exists and God's real and God interacts. You have to know that first. But then second, you have to recognize that God sent the Messiah, his representative, the son of God. And his name is Jesus. You got to know that. It's about Jesus. Okay, Jesus, who is God's promised savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent. A big part of the gospel is repenting, turning from the sin. And so you have to acknowledge that God's standard's high, and we can't make that on our own. And we kind of feel bad about it, but we want, we want change. We want delivered from this. So we need to have this conscious realization that we're sinners, that we need to change. And then, then, and then we see Jesus. 
And his arms are open wide, forgiving, ready to forgive, full of mercy and full of grace. See, the point of the gospel isn't to make you feel bad about your sins until you're going to hell. The part of the gospel is to say, yeah, I know what it's like. I know what you're going through. Sin is horrible. It makes you feel really bad and it's, dis- it's confusing. It's distressing. It's, it's destructive of relationships. And it's, yeah, it's bad news. But it's not to make you feel bad and tell you you're going to go to hell and, and then feel even worse. No, it's about, look, there's salvation. And it's as simple as Jesus. John the Baptist said, look, guys, turn from your sin and find Jesus. So as John finishes ministry, he asks, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming. And even I'm not even worthy to be his slave or his servant and untie his sandals on his feet. Brothers, sisters, you sons and daughters of Abraham. And also, I don't care if you're Jew. I don't care if you're a Gentile. Fear God, know God, turn to God. So again, it's a mixed group of people he's speaking here. Jews, Gentiles, so that's everyone. That includes everyone in this room even today. This message of salvation has been sent to us. The people of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one. Now this is a sad thing. This is what happens, this is the danger that could happen at churches. Guys, okay, this is why I underlined it. The people who should have known, the people who go to synagogue all the time, opening the Bible all the time, reading from the Bible all the time, should recognize Jesus. Because the Bible is all about Jesus. So the danger is when we get too comfortable and too traditional and too religious that we stop recognizing Jesus. Recognizing what the Bible is about. And that's the problem. The people in Jerusalem, these leaders, they couldn't recognize Jesus as one of the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. In doing so, they actually fulfilled the prophets of the words that they read every Sabbath. Do you guys see the irony in that? The reading about Jesus, the reading about the prophets, we're talking about Jesus every single Sabbath, which is equivalent to us meeting for church every single Sunday, right? They read about him, but they didn't recognize him? When Jesus walked in, his, his glory just slapped him in the back of the head. But instead, they're like, I don't like this guy. He intimidates me. Let's kill him. Duh. So this Jesus, the people should have recognized, they should have known, and said they reject him, kill him, it was a part of God's plan. And there's some serious, crazy irony in that. So when they had done all that, in verse 29, when they had done all that, the prophecies said about, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. Okay, guys, again, this is important. It's about God. And if you're talking about God, you're not talking about people, mortals, and their limitations. You're talking about a God who's infinite in power, infinite in might, and can do whatever he pretty much wants to do. Okay, without any justification or reasoning. I mean, he's going to always do what's right because of his character. We know that. But the thing is, he could do crazy miracles. And one of those crazy miracles is a part of the gospel. Jesus is dead. Okay? And so what's normal, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe that God interacts with humanity, then what we have is a dead man, right? That's it. When Jesus died, you just have a dead man. But that's not how God works. God interacts with you and me and people like us because he wants, and that's what the Holy Spirit's all about. It's God's, finally, God's able to fully, because of Jesus Christ, pour his spirit on us and do amazing things and really work directly with us as people. And not just as a group, but even as individuals. So, verse 30 is profound. Because what? 
We see God doing the most amazing, unnatural thing that could ever happen. God raised him from the dead. Okay, I wouldn't say that normally happens. I would say this is impossible. But God does it. God did it. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this gospel or this good news. And that's what the gospel means. It's good news. So guys, listen to this. If there's anything you leave with this morning, this, what I just read you here, I want you to, to, rec- to, to acknowledge, please, that's good news. If before you came here, you thought that this Jesus stuff was bad news and weird fairy tales and whatever, I, want, I would hope that you would leave us at least recognizing that the story of the cross of Jesus and his historical existence and death and resurrection is good news for you. It's not meant to condemn you, not meant to make you feel bad, but it's good news, which means it's something to be happy about. In the newspaper, we read bad news all day long. But this is good news. This is something to be celebrate about. So if there's anything you leave with, please leave with, at least with that. Here's the final slide. And this is in summary. And by the way, we're going to continue this. He's not done yet. He's going to continue. So if, if you want to hear more about the gospel, we're going to do it. Not next week, because next week we're going to have communion. And my buddy is going to come out, and Stuart Gilmore is going to come out and share the word with us. But the following week, we'll keep on going, okay? And we'll keep talking about what Paul's preaching to this church, or to this synagogue, this group of people. But just to wrap up what we learned today, though, guys, God spoke, okay? The church in Antioch, they were what? They were just sitting still. They were fasting, they are praying. They weren't being busy bodies. They weren't, you know, they are just fasting and they are praying. They were being obedient. They were being still before the Lord, and God spoke. After Paul and Barnabas were called out by the Holy Spirit, they went out by the Holy Spirit. So, being still, they heard from God, and they were obedient. They responded. And the God was with them the whole time. He called them. He was with them. And that's important because if you step out to do things for the Lord, if you, if you, if you know it's from the Lord, you can be rest assured that the Lord will be with you the whole time. He's not going to bail on you. Then we have John Mark. Sometimes people will disappoint. But maybe, just maybe, they need some time to grow up. Okay? The gospel comes from the Bible. That's, that's why we have a Bible. That's why we have our laps. That's why there's many cultures in our world that are persecuting Christians. And one of the sources of persecution is taking the Bible away from them. Because the Bible, that's how we understand, understand what the gospel is. And it's about Jesus, as we have learned time and time again. And guys, it's for you. It's for me. Or as I said here, I was reading Dane's little sign in the living room. It's for me and everyone I see. 